Rush Limbaugh used to say, politics is Hollywood for ugly people. So much of the performance art, and I use that term very, very loosely, uh, so much of that what we see like proves that axiom correct, right? It is true. And so we got a good glimpse of it yesterday. Uh, last night, it's the uh, uh, members of the Democratic caucus in the North Carolina House walked out rather than even be present for the swearing in of Donnie Loftus from Gaston County to fill the uh, unexpired term of the late Dana Bumgardner, who passed away last month. Loftus is a 30-year Army veteran, a former county commissioner, and the Gaston County Republican Party selected Loftus to replace Bumgarner, as is the rules. Representative Greer Martin, a Democrat from Wake County, said he was one of the originators of the planned protest. He was not in the chamber Monday night for other reasons, but said there was no way I was going to be in the room when that guy took an oath to join the House of Representatives. Martin also is an Army veteran and said one service to one's country when it was rendered is certainly worthy of respect. But when you betray your country, when you seek to undermine the democratic institutions that make it great, you're turning your back on America. Herein lies the fundamental core difference of opinion. Okay. There are people on the right that I am aware of that believe the left has so thoroughly corrupted the founding uh, principles and institutions of our nation that there needs to be dramatic action undertaken. Also, there are people on the left that say the exact same thing about the right. There are people on the left, a couple of them have actually run for president and won under fundamental transformation of the nation based on these very same ideas. Right? They believe America has gone off the rails, if it ever was on the rails, but it has gone off the rails and needs a dramatic course correction. There are people in the military who think the same thing. Yeah, there are people with military background, they think the same thing. And there are people on the left and the right. I've seen them. I've seen their words, the things they say. Fundamental transformation. There, is a, there was a guy, remember this guy, the, the communist who graduated from West Point? And he had the, he put the, what was it, a little, made a little sign, Karl Marx was right or something like that. And he put it inside of his, uh, his cap when he graduated from West Point. I think he eventually got discharged. But this idea is not new. And in fact, uh, this is, you know, comes up uh, every now and again with the, like the militias. Whenever they're in the news, you hear the, you know, the, the tree of liberty watered with the blood of tyrants. Thomas Jefferson's quote, right? You hear these things discussed and i would submit that is quintessential and uniquely american those types of conversations you know why i say that is because not that i'm espousing it and uh, i heard yesterday there was a fellow who called into winterbull show and he's exactly right i've talked about this for years which is if we don't get politics right if we're not talking politics then we're shooting and there are a lot of people that don't seem to understand that. And I think there are a lot of people that uh, 
they, they, they think the same way when it comes to, for example, the defunding the police. They really don't understand how thin that line is. How quickly a society devolves. You ask people who have served overseas, who have seen civil war up close, and you know, like they will tell you it it happens slowly at first and then very quickly. So this sentiment that, you know, look out, look out, I might just overthrow everything at any given moment. Like that is a quintessentially American viewpoint. And I think it actually keeps us grounded. It actually keeps us on a on a path of civilized behavior. That's what I'm hoping. Hey, you know me, I'm an optimist. Um <laughs> I'm ho- that that's what I hope. Because if we can't discuss the differences and we can't hammer this stuff out peacefully politically, then it gets a lot worse very fast. Slowly at first and then very quickly. Um should the people have gone up to uh, Washington, D.C. for the protest? Sure, absolutely. You want to protest, you go right ahead and protest. I, I'm, you, I, you have all the rights in the world, well, not in the world, in America, to go protest. And I have all the right to mock you for it if I don't agree with your cause or I don't agree with the way you're protesting, right? You want to get dressed up as genitalia, go protest, like, I'm going to laugh at you, okay? We're all going to mock you. But you totally have the right to do that. Um. Do you have the right to kick in the doors? Do you have the right to, you know, damage property? No, see, you don't. That's where that's where that stops. You don't have the right to do that stuff. So, again, that's a consistent standard. So Democrats walk out because Donnie Loftus had gone up to D.C. for this protest. Now, while he posted on Facebook at the time that he was there, he got tear gassed. Now, I don't know, did he get tear gassed three times or... Did tear gas get deployed and then he was downwind of it and he got um, hit by it or whatever? Like, I don't know what his actions were that day. He never went in. And I would point out also that he has said that, um, yeah, asked about it. He said, on January 6, 2020, while I peacefully exercised my First Amendment rights in front of the U.S. Capitol, I was surprised and disappointed to watch others storm the entrance as violence ensued. I had absolutely zero involvement in the rioting and categorically condemned the storming of our Capitol building that day. So I'm not sure what else you want him to do. Right? Like, what else is there for him to do? He has, and by the way, Speaker Tim Moore, the Speaker of the House, says he's known Loftus 20 years. He said he's a good man. And um, he says, given the FBI scrutiny of the Capitol attack, if Loftus had done anything illegal that day, we probably would have heard it by now. I think that's a logical and fair point as well, don't you? 600 people arrested, right? For some of the people that are charged, it's very, like the charges are very light, very flimsy. They're being held. That's like a whole other uh, issue in and of itself. So if Loftus was guilty of something, I suspect they probably would have come and picked him up by now, don't you think? They would have charged him with something by now. They did not. The FBI has not. Um, hang on, I think there was one other thing. Oh, yeah, because then there was the other thing. He was on the uh, Board of Health. Sorry, the uh, Board of Directors, rather, for the uh, for Caramont Health. 
He resigned last year over social media posts that, among other things, complained of the tyranny of business closures ordered by Governor Roy Cooper. And he said that um, he resigned to spare Caramont, you know, the, the, the blowback from the left. Because he's serving on the, the board of directors for the hospitals or whatever, the system, the Caramont system. And um, he's talking about the, the tyranny of the business closures that the governor instituted. And so, of course, that can't stand. How dare you have a different opinion? This has been like the media's behavior during this pandemic has it's been it's been uh, as instructive and insightful as it has been disappointing and disgusting to me, to me, questions that they should be asking as checks on power. They completely abdicated their role. So that's why I I ridicule and mock them so much is because I expected way more out of them. But that's just me. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender Show. I'm Pete. North Carolina State Republican Party has hired as its new communications director the editor of a right-wing news website who spread election misinformation, downplayed the seriousness of the January 6th. Right, All of this is subjective. Lucille Sherman writing at the News and Observer, the McClatchy-affiliated paper up there in Raleigh, appears in the Charlotte Observer as well, who spread election misinformation. So I'm curious, does the Russia collusion hoax that the Charlotte Observer amplified and, and printed is that election misinformation too? Right? I would submit it is, as it was misinformation and it was designed to harm President Trump's election chances. And then it was designed to impeach him, right? That's the point. It was an oppo research hit and then it became weaponized in the intelligence community. And this is all understood, this is all knowledge. By the way, where is the Charlotte Observer on the reporting on that? Have you guys informed your readers that there's been some, I don't know, uh, movement on that story? There have been some developments on that story? Anyway, uh, back to this article. Because this is the Republican treatment that you can expect when you uh, write stories about the, what was it, the Forensic Audit of Michigan Dominion voter uh, Voting Machines. They found this like error rate that was up there, and that was going around the uh, the right wing media echo chamber for a while. And Jeff Moore is the fella's name. He's now the communications director for the North Carolina Republican Party, and he wrote. He was the editor, I think, or um, editor in chief. There it is of the news website First in Freedom Daily. I've seen the website. I do not use the website because I did not find it to be credible. So I don't quote from them. Um, but I am aware of I, I am aware of the work that they were doing. But when you do stories like 68% error rate found in forensic audit of Michigan Dominion voting system, and then it turned out not to be true, like, yeah, that undermines your credibility, just like the Charlotte Observer's credibility gets undermined. Now, that's not to say that First and Freedom might not have done a story at some point that I did quote. 
But generally speaking, if you ask me, like, nah, I'm probably not going to have it in the regular rotation of my show prep. Um, but this idea that uh, the First in Freedom Daily downplayed the seriousness of the January 6th riot. That is a completely subjective metric. Who are you to say this is the same thing that, oh, you know, be careful while you're uh, you're going to try to make that putt. Not that I golf or anything, but, oh, you're going to make that putt. Be careful. It's it's longer than than you think. How do you know how long I think that putt is? You have no idea. You're projecting upon me some idea that you have. That's what this writer just did. That's what this reporter just did, Lucille Sherman. Downplayed the seriousness of the January 6th riot. Downplayed the seriousness. Why? Because you think it's more serious than he does. So what you're saying is he has the wrong opinion about something that's a subjective scale. Okay. And call President Joe Biden's election win suspect. Oh, you can't, can't say that. No, you're not allowed to say that. How about uh, Stacey Abrams? Can you do Stacey Abrams now? How about how about all of the blue and on garbage? The difference between QAnon and blue and on is that the blue and on stuff gets treated as rational. The blue and on stuff actually gets serious treatment in media circles. The QAnon stuff does not, nor should it, by the way. I'm not advocating it. I have had... Quite a few laughs at the expense of the Q followers. Okay, so don't send me your Q stuff. I've already done enough research on the Q stuff to know it's garbage. Now, the the blue and on stuff, like, this is like Trump paying hookers to pee on a bed in, in Moscow. Like, that's blue and on. That stuff gets front page coverage in mainstream media outlets, and it becomes all-consuming in the media. It gets treated as de facto true and worth pursuing. It's the seriousness of the allegation, right? The hiring of Jeff Moore as the party's top spokesman highlights a division among Republicans. Top party officials like those who appointed Moore see the benefit of appealing to former President Donald Trump's supporters. Okay, how about, let's say you do the uh, the defund the police stuff. How about that? Yeah, it's up. it's on the ballot in Minneapolis. You got a really big split inside the uh, left-wing coalition that is the Democratic Party right now. So where does their spokesperson stand on these things? You never get this kind of probing activity on the left. You don't you, you never you, you never see the these uh political reporters going after the comms team for the Democratic Party on stuff like this. Well, I don't know. This communications person, they think a but there are people in the base of the Democratic Party that think not A. And so, therefore, we need to do like a 2,000-word story on this. State legislative leaders, however, have frequently sidestepped questions or tamped down debates over Trump's false election conspiracy theories and other hot-button issues like vaccine mandates that have animated his populist base. Right, why would they? This is the thing that gets me. Reporters running to the Republicans demanding that they do what? That they alienate portions of their base. They never do that with the Democrats. They never run to Democrats and say, please, please, alienate the socialists. Please, you know, disavow socialism. They never do that. 
It's one of the it is one of the uh, the amazing phenomena that occur in North Carolina politics, where the political beat reporters of our major media outlets are unable to detect or decipher a trace amount of political motivation in the Democrat Party. It really is amazing. All right, I know the polls are still open in Virginia for several more hours, but according to Bo Snurdly, apparently the projected winner in the Virginia governor's race is Stacey Abrams. How dare you? Yeah, Stacey Abrams is the uh, winner. <laughs> uh, it's a joke, people. I'm not trying to suppress or disenfranchise anybody or anything like Stacey Abrams was. By the way, uh, nobody at the Observer cared to get opinions about whether people think Trump was the legitimate president. You guys asking Democratic members of the General Assembly those types of questions? Did Trump actually win 2016? It's a good question because, like, half of Democrats don't believe that. You know that, right? Half of the Democratic voters in surveys say that Donald Trump did not win legitimately in 2016. Man, you should have seen, like, the numbers on uh, George W. Bush back in 2000 as well. Um, so apparently the McClatchy folks, uh, yeah, they've just come to realize that uh, apparently political parties, communications teams, sometimes might not be the most believable of sources. <laughs> I know, I'm as shocked as you are that a... Yeah, I know. A political party's comms shop might not be telling you the truth about all things politics. Just a heads up on that one. Uh, Republicans contacted by the News and Observer were largely hesitant to speak about the hiring of one Jeff Moore as the party's top spokesman. Nearly all declined to comment on the matter. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, they don't care to talk with you about this stuff. They don't care what you guys think anymore. They don't need you. They don't need you. you, you uh, like pros and cons to the whole gatekeeper uh, media role. Pros and cons to it. I've went over this. Uh, I actually was when I was at the Young Republicans uh, event last week, and I talked a little bit about this, like this idea that there was some golden age of of news where, you know, everybody was objective. It's just garbage. It, it was never the case. Okay. They were always putting their thumbs on the scale, but there were fewer gatekeepers back then. Now every man has a printing press. Every person, sorry, not don't want to exclude the birthing people. So everyone's got a, a printing press. Everybody gets to be their own publisher now. And that means, yeah, there's very little gatekeeping. Now, the problem is you're going to have big tech try to step in and fulfill that role. And I'm not at all down with that. But there definitely were pros to, you know, several, you know, handful of outlets that acted as the gatekeeper for American society. There was definitely a, a benefit to that is everybody had a uniform and shared idea of what was real and what was not. Now, the downside is that some things that Americans believed to be real were actually not real. Right? They were not real at all, like the moon landing, for example. I'm kidding. I believe we landed on the moon. I just... <laughs> <clears throat> all righty. Um, let me get to this uh, 
let me get to the January 6th stuff. Because I've been sitting on this stack of stuff, and it's been growing for a while, and uh, I want to make sure I, I get to it. So this is from uh, the Rolling Stone publication, which is not credible. But I only bring it to you because it is kind of funny how quickly things cycle out of the media ecosystem nowadays. Hunter Walker is the reporter on this story. Is an exclusive. Nobody else had it. January 6th, protest organizers say they participated in dozens of planning meetings with members of Congress and White House staff. This is going to come as a big shock to a lot of people as well, that when you're organizing a massive rally at the Capitol, um, and it's a political rally, that you're going to coordinate with uh, people who are in politics that work at the Capitol. This is groundbreaking journalism right here. As the House investigation into the January 6th attack heats up, some of the planners of the pro-Trump rallies that took place in Washington, D.C. have begun communicating with congressional investigations and sharing new information about what happened when the former president's supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Two of these people have spoken to Rolling Stone exclusively in recent weeks and detailed explosive allegations. Explosive allegations. They say multiple members of Congress were intimately involved in planning both Trump's efforts to overturn his election loss and the January 6th events that turned violent. So again, you have a rally, a lot of people there, a lot of people involved in the planning, a lot of people speaking at the rally, a lot of members of Congress speaking at the rally. And so shocker of shockers, Staffers for those members of Congress helped to organize the Congress members' speeches at the rally. So there you go. That's This is an exclusive. While there have been prior indications that members of Congress were involved, this is the first account detailing their purported role and its scope. The two sources also claim they interacted with members of Trump's team, including... Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who they describe as having had an opportunity to prevent the violence. Okay, so they're going to describe these people. You got a rally organizer and a rally planner, which is interesting that they call them the rally organizer and the rally planner. Why wouldn't you call them the insurrection planner and the insurrection organizer? Marjorie Taylor Greene. What the organizer says, I remember talking to probably close to a dozen other members at one point or another or their staffs. So a dozen members of Congress or their staffers talk to this rally organizer, which makes sense if you're going to organize a rally and you're going to ask these people to speak, then it does make sense that you might talk to their staff or them. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm seeing this as kind of an obvious story. Maybe that's why nobody covered it and why this is like your exclusive Rolling Stone because everybody else was like, yeah, this isn't really a story. 1110993 WBT. So the story at the Rolling Stone magazine, which again, Rolling Stone, known fabricator of news, so take this with a grain of salt, but they claim to have the exclusive two anonymous people working uh, for, I guess, two different members of 
Congress or something, or sorry, to uh, two people working on the rally. They say they've got uh, uh, information about who all helped them plan the Stop the Steal rally. These congressional members and aides, two of them. There's the rally organizer and the rally planner. and That's the only way they're identified in this Rolling Stone article. About halfway through, and it's a very lengthy piece, by the way. But about halfway through, I was intrigued by this particular passage. It says, while it was already clear members of Congress played some role in the January 6th events and similar rallies that occurred in the lead up to that day, which, by the way, that's going to come back to this point, because there were other rallies prior to January 6th. Notably, there was one the previous night, and a figure from that event featured very prominently in the following day's events. But I'll get to that. Um, But these two sources, the organizer and the planner, say they can provide new details about the congressional members' specific roles in these efforts. Well, that's just the rallies. So, So what? The sources plan to share this information with congressional investigators right away. While both sources say their communications with the House January 6th committee thus far have been informal, they are expecting to testify publicly. Quote, I have no problem openly testifying, said the rally planner. Well, if you have no problem openly testifying, why wouldn't you go on the record with the Rolling Stone magazine? What is the purpose of protecting your anonymity for the news story? If you have no problem openly testifying, why why wouldn't you just go on the record right now? Is there an allegation of planning for an attack that I've missed someplace? Because I've not seen that reported anywhere. And the Rolling Stone does not make that allegation either. Everything is just rally. Everything is just about the rally. So... Are you suggesting that planning a rally is the equivalent to planning a riot? Is that the idea? Because I was under the impression that rallies and riots are totally different things. And when you've got a big rally that, and then a riot breaks out afterwards, we are not allowed to hold the rally organizers responsible for the rioting that occurs afterwards, which is why... Nobody who planned any of the riots, sorry, any of the rallies over last summer, 2020, right? Why none of those rally organizers were ever held accountable for all the riots that broke out immediately after their rallies, as soon as the sun went down. Oh, yeah. And by the way, they would plan their rallies for just before sundown, right? This is what I mean, guys. You you don't get to stage riots and rip up cities, burn down buildings, loot and steal, assault people. You don't get to engage in that kind of criminal activity for the duration of an entire summer and then lecture other people about how wrong it is to do the things that you did. So, no, leftists, I I, I don't care about your opinions on any of this stuff. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but I'm actually not sorry at all because everything kind of hurts your feelings. But um, I, I, I don't care. I, I'll sort through the ethical questions myself. I don't need to hear your opinions on this stuff because you have besmirched yourselves on this score. 
Both sources made clear to the Rolling Stone that they still believe in Trump's agenda. They also have questions about how his election loss occurred. The two sources say they do not necessarily believe there were issues with the actual vote count. However, they are concerned that Democrats gained an unfair advantage in the race due to perceived social media censorship of Trump allies. There's no perception there at all, Rolling Stone. That is true. Social media censored pro-Trump news, activities, Facebook posts. They actively engaged in censorship. And now you can say that that was warranted as a gatekeeper function of the big tech platform, right? You go right ahead and make those arguments, but you don't get to claim that they didn't occur because they most certainly did occur. Heck, they censored one of the oldest newspapers in America, the New York Post, right? Alexander Hamilton's paper censored the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was true. Right. You guys censored that. And everybody was like, well, you know, it's fine, I guess. Censorship of the media. That's, you know, that's okay in this case. It's not government doing it. So you should be okay with that. That was the line we got from the legacy corporate media outlets and the Democrats that they enable. One or the organizer said Democrats used tactics to disrupt their political opposition in ways that frankly were completely unacceptable. I agree. I agree with that organizer who said that. Despite their remaining affinity for Trump and their questions about the vote, both sources say they were motivated to come forward because of their concerns about how the pro-Trump protest against the election ultimately resulted in the violent attack on the Capitol. Of course, with their other legal issues and the House investigation, both of these sources have clear motivation to cooperate with investigators and turn on their former allies. And both of their accounts paint them in a decidedly favorable light compared with their former allies. The rally organizer said, quote, it's clear that a lot of bad actors set out to cause chaos. They made us all look like poop. And Trump, they admit, was one of those bad actors. Uh, the two potential witnesses plan to present to the committee allegations about how these demonstrations were funded and to detail communications between organizers and the White House um, members of Trump's administration, former members of his campaign team were involved in the planning. Again, like none of this is surprising to me. Like, have you ever planned? I don't know, like anything ever. Yeah. You get the people who are going to be involved in the event. You get them involved in the planning. So this way, you know, they're aware of the plans. The question is whether the planned rally was supposed to turn into a planned riot. Now, I was very critical and still am of President Donald Trump's words that he used at the event when he spoke at the rally and he egged on people to go down and protest at the Capitol. But here's the thing. Donald Trump, as has been repeated so often, is not a politician. And there are pros and cons to that, too. And one of the cons is that he doesn't know a lot of the stuff about, you know, political rhetoric. And he thought that he was going to be treated a certain way, I guess. But he says stuff. He runs his mouth. He shoots from the hip. And when you say stuff and you inspire a mob to go engage in certain activity, you then don't get to say, oh, I didn't have any responsibility. But as a non-politician, it's probably not very accustomed to being able to whip up a mob like that. You know, and again, a lot of leftists probably didn't realize that they could inspire a guy to go shoot up an entire softball field full of uh, Republican lawmakers. But, you know, here we are. We'll be right back.
Maybe everybody should just kind of work on, you know, not inspiring people to go commit violence. How about that?